0: Tell you just a, a little bit about me. I'm an intern at uh, Christ Church Conway, so about 30 minutes north from here. I'm an unpaid intern, so I'm used to getting from <laughs> the hard passages that the preachers don't want to preach. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of getting used to that, but I'm definitely grateful for the opportunities. Um, I'm working my way through the ordination process. I'm currently in a program called Lamp Theological Seminary, so it's like correspondence. Uh, we do two lessons a week, meet once a week with um, my pastor, who's our kind of facilitator, and make sure we're, we're not in left field somewhere with what we're studying. Um, I have an undergrad from Central Baptist College as well, so I have a Bachelor of Arts in Biblical Studies. When I'm done, I'll have a Master's in, in Theology. Uh, So that's how I got here from Conway. I'm originally from West Memphis. Anybody know about the great metropolis of West Memphis? Anybody? (laughs) Okay, good, good. Um, So we're definitely excited to be here, excited to be with you. My wife is actually from Little Rock, so she gets to kind of hang out in in her area and show me her hood. So I'm I'm excited to be here with you. If you have your Bibles, if you would, uh, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 will be in the first three verses. Ephesians... Chapter 2, I have a friend of mine who is uh, the manager of the Blue Sail coffee shop in Conway. Her name is Vanessa. And last night she got to share her story um, of... Um, Her her life story at a banquet for Deliver Hope. I don't know if you know about Deliver Hope. They've just recently come to Little Rock as well. Um, It's an organization that works with at-risk teens, particularly in the juvenile detention center. So they work to mentor at-risk teens, both uh, those that are going to jail on a regular basis, uh, pregnant teen moms that really don't have another option, fantastic organization. I would recommend it to you um, to do some research. DeliverHope.org is their website. Um, They have an annual banquet each year called the Dare to Dream Banquet. And this is our third year to attend. And last night I got to hear Vanessa's story. And Vanessa got to share how she became a mom at 17 and began uh, using alcohol and and drugs and got into a situation where that was consuming much of her life. Um, even to the point that um, about midway through 2017, uh, she was on the verge of an overdose. Um, and she said there, there arrived a moment where she realized, I couldn't do that anymore, that I wanted to be a, a mom to Kaiden, and I wanted to have life. And it had, had a moment where she understood that her identity wasn't there anymore. That her identity now was when in what God had given her this this new mentor family that had become like a an extra mom to her. A family that she had, where she felt like she had a little sister and a little brother, and she was a part. Um, of a community, and that shaped everything about her, that she had to leave her former connections and identity because she couldn't live that life anymore, and she had to now identify with, as she put it, the family God had given her. And as we get into the text today, that idea of who you were and who you are now, that identity language, that understanding of Where you've been, or if you don't know Christ, where you are now, to who you are in Christ is the language that Paul is giving to the Ephesians. He spent chapter 1 explaining to you salvation from God's perspective and praying over the Ephesians, and now he is turning here in chapter 2 to explain salvation from our perspective. And so as he begins in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we're going to read 1 through 3, and then we'll pray. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would be glorified through the preaching portion of the worship service and that you would please um, give us your spirit to do the thing that I can't do and speak to our hearts, open our eyes, Enlight our minds to the richness of who you are and the glory that is the finished, sufficient work of your Son, Jesus Christ. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we dig into this portion of the letter to the church at Ephesus, we really want to wrestle. There's There's three questions in 1 through 10 that... Uh, Paul is going to kind of throw out here. The three questions are, what have we been saved from, how have we been saved, and what are we saved for? And today we're going to wrestle with the first question. What have we been saved from? Well, here, the first thing we see that we've been saved from ourselves. Let's look at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Dead in trespasses and sins. So outside of Christ, we're all dead. That's, that's the good news. That's the, that's the cheery message that you want to put on your <laughs> Christian t-shirts and your coffee mugs and your stickers on the back of your cars. Those are the things that, that K Love doesn't want to tell you because it's positive and encouraging. <laughs> outside of Christ, you're dead. So how do we get here? Well, the sin of our first parents is how we got here. That representing all of humanity in themselves, in exchanging the glory of the immortal God, life with God, they decided that they thought they knew better. They decided that they thought they had it all figured out, that they really were going to go their own way through the deception of Satan. Their decision... Affected all of us in the same way that when a basketball player gets a foul, it affects the whole team. Adam's decision affected all of humanity. And so now everything around us is broken. It's the reason that so oftentimes you feel, whether it's sitting in a funeral or just dealing with day to day issues, that this isn't the way it's supposed to be, that this isn't quite right that this feels off, that this feels like I'm running through quicksand. I don't quite understand why things are happening the way they're happening, why things keep falling apart. It's because sin has broken everything. And in particular, it's broken us that we were dead. Literally, the warning that God gives to our first parents, particularly to Adam, that if you eat from the fruit of this tree, it literally says dying, you will die. That it wasn't instantaneous, but that from that moment, death is around every corner and it affects everything and it even affects ourselves. It affects our thoughts and our mind and our emotions and how we process things. It, it, it skews everything, kind of like one of those... Um, crazy horror mirrors when you go into a scary house where everything is kind of just kind of off and you look kind of crazy that's how you're processing life and that's how you're viewing everything around you unaware that there's another perspective because you now are dead outside of christ we're all dead sins affected everything paul says it this way to the church in rome that there's none righteous No, not one, no one understands, no one seeks after God, their throats are an open grave, the venom of asper on their lips that we're not basically good, right? We have a tendency to process life and hope in things like the diary of Anne Frank. As she's writing and you feel so warm and fuzzy inside that at the end of it all, I think people are basically good And while that sounds awesome, and it makes for a really cute Instagram post, the reality of the matter is, and no, they're not. They took you to a gas chamber. No, they're not. They're not basically good. We are inundated with all day long the reality that things aren't basically good whether it's administrations who elevate ethnicities above other ethnicities and think of some greater than others and think the others that are different than them as less than and things that we need to protect ourselves from and criminals and animals or legislation that murders infants. Either way, the reality that we're dealt with day in and day out is things aren't basically good. They're broken and we need help. And we need rescue from ourselves. So the reality is the first thing we were saved from in Christ is ourselves. And we have to understand who we were in order to live in light of who we are now. If we understand the reality of who we are as broken sinners desperately in need of a savior, then I can look at you when you tell me your brokenness and you can look at me when I share my brokenness with you and I don't, I'm not critical and I'm not, not judgmental. I get it. And at the end of the day, I can look at you and I can say, hey, we both need Jesus that's the fear. The fear is, especially with Christians and especially in church, that I can't really tell these people how broken I am and how hopeless I feel and how lost I am, because if I really told them about me, then they would not want to be with me anymore. But the reality is, brothers and sisters, friends and visitors, I'm just as broken as you are, and we desperately all need a Savior because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So the first thing that we're saved from is ourselves. The second thing that we are saved from is the grip of Satan. Let's continue verse two. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons Of disobedience, so here Paul takes this connection that not only are you the enemy of yourself, are you the problem? In the way Switchfoot says it, now not only are you your own disease, but you were following lockstep after Satan and unaware that that was happening. Literally, the idea of the word "walk" here is this idea of synchronized marching, right? Do we have any band nerds in in the audience? (laughs) I played tuba and trumpet well into college. It's actually how I got a scholarship to go to CBC, is playing tuba, and I can still to this day, if I carry a tray, and whether it's at Zaza's or Panera or whatever, if I need to carry a plate full of food, I'm thinking about rolling my heels, right? (laughs) Anybody else? Like, it's drilled into your head from the years and years and years of the hot summer band camps, Right? (laughs) But it's that idea that you are rolling your heels left, right, left, right on to death after Satan, like a Pied Piper unaware that you're running headlong off a cliff. Oblivious to it. We have to come to grips with this reality because as Westerners... We tend to process things as the spiritual isn't real, right? We may want to every once in a while dabble in it because you know, obviously, I'm a Gemini, and that's how I process things, right? We say we say nonsense like that, where we want to kind of dabble in the mystic, but left to ourselves, we want to see a good horror film. But the reality is, none of that's actually real. That's just for funsies. Yeah. That's just the Blair Witch Project. Am I dating myself too much, 90s kids, right? Like that's just, that's for funds. But the reality is, as Paul's going to tell you at the end of this letter, that you wrestle not with flesh and blood. Your issue isn't with one another. Your issue is actually against principalities and powers in this present age, That unaware around you, you'll live life thinking, where did that come from? Why is this happening? Why does this feel this way? What in the world is this that you're wrestling constantly (coughs) with spiritual realities that you're often oblivious to? Because that's the way Satan would love to keep you. He would love to keep you thinking, I'm too intelligent to believe in that nonsense. I'm too evolved, I'm too progressive, I'm too modern. That's just fairy tales that the church tells you to scare you, but it actually explains why things are actually off and why it feels as if something is pushing back against you, because oftentimes it is. C.S. Lewis wrote a great book around this called The Screwtape Letters. And as you read each letter of this fictional novel, you see oftentimes C.S. Lewis has a great way of helping you process life that you'll think, yeah, my wife and I have had that argument. Yeah, I thought that. Yeah, work has felt like that. Because on top of you having to wrestle with your own brokenness and wrestle with the reality of the brokenness around you, Satan will love nothing more to let you just continue in oblivion and blindness. He says it this way to the Corinthians, that the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers. And he tells the Colossians that you've been rescued out of the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his glorious son. That we are absolutely at war. And outside of that, you were following, marching, lockstep with Satan. And Paul wants you to understand that reality, and he doesn't want you to be ignorant of it, because being aware of why things change in an instant, and you don't know how you and your spouse even got in that argument, or why you're yelling at your kids, or why you're enraged in traffic on I-40, or why all of a sudden you have a terrible attitude with your boss and you're not really sure why everything gets on your last nerve (coughs) is because you're wrestling with principalities Mm -hmm. and powers. So not only have you been saved from yourself, you've been rescued from that grip. That as you were marching headlong off a cliff, ignorant to the reality that you were chasing death, in comes the great king to defeat Satan and say, no, 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 walk to life. That's why this word walk matters so much. You're gonna see it time and time and time again in the scriptures, whether it's in Romans six, where he says, don't you know that you were buried with Christ in baptism and raised to newness of life so that now in that you should walk in this newness. Or when he tells him in Romans eight that the spirit identifies with your spirit and that the spirit cries on your behalf as an adopted son, Abba, Father, he tells you before that, that if you chase after the flesh, you will chase after death. But if you walk in the spirit, you will have life. That there is no hope and there is no life in anything else other than Christ. So now, brothers and sisters, knowing who you were and knowing how you walked, now understand who you are now and walk like that. March lock step with the Spirit, who will help you every step of the way to understand this, this book, to understand the world around you, to understand yourself. There's a reason that we start with a high view of God in this liturgy, that it's in understanding who God is that you can really understand who you are. And if you understand that you are a sinner desperately in need of a savior, but that who has been rescued and placed alongside Christ on the throne, that you now are a son if you have placed your faith in Jesus. Walk now in that freedom. You're no longer bound. You're no longer blind. You're no longer marching to death. You have life. So, we've been saved from ourselves. We've been saved From the grip of Satan. But also, we've been saved from the wrath of God. Let's look, continuing in verse 2, leading into verse 3. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of, ma- of wrath like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath. So here, there's a reality here, that the higher the authority, the greater the consequence for our offense. If I step down here and I slap Dan... You've you've all thought about it. Don't don't lie. If I slap Dan, we're we're fighting, right? Like, he's not just going to let me reach back and and smack him. We're rolling in the floor, but that's the extent of it, right? If I then punch a cop, I'm going to jail. (laughs) Jail, jail. Going to jail. If I shoot the president iPhone don't listen. It's just a sermon. If I shoot the president, I'm I'm also going to get shot. Right, right. Eye for an eye. That I, I kill the president, they kill me. That's how that works. You will be dead, dead. Like that's how that works. The men in the suits will get you. Like the hi, the higher the authority, the higher the consequence for my offense. Our sin offended a holy and righteous God of the universe who spoke the world into existence, and like the children's song, he holds the world in his hand. Your and my sin offended that God who has to be just and has to punish sin. So if he is infinite, his wrath therefore, is infinite. And he has to infinitely punish sin because he is the infinite authority of all things. The highest of everything. Therefore, the consequence is the greatest that it could possibly be. So in a time where we tend to bristle against this idea of sin and brokenness and wrath and hell, you have to understand If he didn't punish it, he would be unjust. Mm. And if he didn't do something about it, he wouldn't be a God worth worshiping. But it's because he is infinite and holy and mighty and the creator of all things that his punishment for sin is holy Mm. and righteous and just and fierce and powerful and eternal. Because he is eternal. And guess what? Outside of Christ, this is what it says about us. That we had a spirit leading us to disobedience. That we once lived after the passions of our flesh. That not only did we sin, we loved every minute of it. We loved running running our own game. We loved our autonomy, we loved doing whatever we wanted to do and however we wanted to do it, and no one could tell us anything because it's our life, our choice, our everything. And the reality is that was going to do nothing but lead you to death and place you under the mighty wrath of God. And I would ask you, if that's where you are now, how is that working out for you? is it everything you would hope it would be, right? But in reality, it's probably leaving you hopeless, it's probably leaving you broken, and you really have too much pride to tell anybody about the emptiness you actually feel. But that is the holy wrath of God that is coming like a freight train. Because it is appointed for man to die. And after that, you will be placed before the creator of the universe and have to be held accountable for the very breath that he breathed into you. Verse 4, though, and I'm not going to get into Dan's sermon, or promise, but God, that the good news of the gospel has to lead to the bad news of who you are first, I have to tell you the reality of who we are. (coughs) Otherwise, I'm not being your friend and I'm not loving you if I don't tell you the truth, even if you don't want to hear it. But the bad news of the gospel leads to the good news of the reality that that pure, fierce, heavy wrath of God that now rests on everyone who rejects Christ has been poured out on Jesus for everyone who finds their faith in him. Every ounce, every bit of volume of wrath was put on the back of Jesus at the cross. And Jesus understood the reality of it. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, if it's possible for this cup to pass, Let's negotiate another way because he knew the Holy One, the second person of the Trinity who, is, who was and is and will ever be understood what he was staring down the barrel of. And he knew, man, if there's another option, I want to take it. But not my will, but yours. And he willingly, despite your rejection of him, despite your failures, despite your brokenness, knowing exactly who you are, he loved you anyway and absorbed every drop of wrath on himself. <laughs> so that now, if you put your faith in Jesus, your trust, your confidence that I can't perform I can't be good enough. I can't pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can't just go to church and check boxes and do this thing. That The only hope I have is resting on Jesus' finished work alone for my salvation. If you will do that, then God now doesn't see you. He sees Jesus that you, like the Ephesians, can now hear the glorious news of the gospel that you are no longer dead, you're alive, that you're no longer in the grip of Satan, that you walk by the Spirit, that you no longer are under the wrath of God, that you, precious son and daughter of the King, are now in Christ, that our union with Christ impacts everything else about who we are that our new identity informs now how we then live. So hear the good news of the gospel today, that Jesus saved us from ourselves, so now we can fight our flesh. Jesus saved us from Satan, so now we can defeat Satan through word and prayer. That's what the end of this letter is going to tell you that you have the armor to defeat these principalities and enemy because Christ has already done it for you. And lastly, that you've been saved from the wrath of God so that now the holy God of the universe, despite knowing who you really are and who I really am, loves you anyway. And you can walk in that love and reality that it looks at you and says, my child, and gives you the riches and privileges that are in Christ. We now need to walk in that reality and worship him because he's deserving of it today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And it's only through the finished work of Christ that we have any hope at all. We ask that you would please help us to meditate on this word. Help Help it to dwell in us richly and help us to process it and understand it and break it down and help it to be in our hearts and our minds. I ask that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that you would please, please, please rescue them from the domain of darkness and transfer them into the kingdom of your great son. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.